morning. So this morning, I do want to talk to us about what I've titled this message is, uh, When Life is Unbearable, A Call to Authentic Prayer. And so what happens when life seems unbearable? And I think a lot of us have those moments when life is unbearable. I'm going to share a little story. When I was in college, uh, I went to uh, Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. And uh, I, it was in my senior year of being in college. And uh, I decided that in that senior year, that last semester, I wanted to focus on just getting out of school and uh, get my studies done. And so I quit my job. And I worked at the college bookstore there. So I went in and I quit my job. and uh, and. It, my, my only other kind of job was I was the, the youth pastor at the Nazarene Church down in Durango, Colorado, uh, away from campus. And, and so they offered me a place to live for free. They couldn't afford to pay me, but they allowed me to live in the basement of the parsonage there. And so, uh, well, as life has it, um, money only lasts for so long. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? So over time, you know, I thought I could live off whatever I had in my bank account and, and stuff and, and not being paid at the church and, and stuff. I got down to where I only had $5 left in my pocket. Anybody there today? No? You guys have more than $5 in your pocket? Anybody ever been down to the $5 left? Yeah, thank you for being honest, you know? And, and so when I, it, I got to this point during the semester where uh, I think it's probably because that's when I met Andrea and she was taking all my money and everything. I don't know. She was making me fly out to California. I don't, I don't remember exactly. But, uh, but I was down to my last $5. And, and I was kind of in a desperate place because where I, the church was not right next to the campus. And with that $5, I was down close to empty in my car and had very few, very little food in the refrigerator. And so I had to make a choice. Was I going to put gas in my car so I could go to class, or was I going to go to the store and use my $5 to buy some groceries and to have a little bit of food but not have enough gas to get to class? Uh, you know, it's my conundrum, right? My sort of unbearable. And I was a young guy uh, in college, as most people are, 21, 22, 23 years old. And... Uh, and so I was trying to decide what to do. I had no way of getting any sort of income. I didn't really have a job. I was just kind of living on faith in the Lord at that time. And so I, um, I, I did what uh, a lot of people do when you're desperate. I went to prayer. Anybody ever been that point? When you're desperate and you go, okay, Lord, I need something. I need it now. Well, I'll continue my story in a little bit. I know that a lot of us struggle in life, and when life is unbearable, we, we think about these moments, what's going to happen? How are we going to deal with life? And I, I read this recently, and I thought it was really, really profound, and I think it fits where we're at today in our world. It says, the prettiest smiles hide the deepest secrets. The prettiest eyes have cried the most tears. The kindest hearts have felt the deepest pain. I really like that. As pastor, I have had many, many different conversations with people about things that have happened in their lives. And I've dealt with many families who have gone through divorce. And not only is it a husband and wife that's split, but there are the children involved and, and what that creates and the pain of divorce. A couple weeks ago, right after kind of this COVID virus kind of ended and everything started opening up and I was able to go get my hair cut, I went into my barber's 
um, into his facility there, and he owns it. And uh, I walked back to the back, and he asked me, he said, when, when's the last time I saw you? I said, I don't know. Look at my hair. You know, I don't have much, but whatever, you know, you can tell. And I said, it's probably been about three weeks. And he goes, oh, oh, you don't know, do you? Now, I'm not really close to my barber. Now, some of you might hang out with your barber, but I don't hang out with my barber. And I said, no, what, what's going on? And his countenance just dropped. And he said, just in a very monotone voice, my son committed suicide. In those moments, life is unbearable. And he was trying to put on a good smile and a good face. I've talked to teenagers going through the line at the grocery store, 15, 16-year-olds who have been pregnant. And I ask a question. You know, in those moments, you take a moment just to stop. And instead of them, you know, rushing your groceries by to put them in a bag. And I asked one girl one time, I said, how are you doing? She said, fine. And I said, and I could hear it in her voice. I said, no, how are you doing? And she just started to bawl. And you could tell that she, the, the pain of this unmarried pregnant teenager was overwhelming. And she was trying to work in, in a way that, that you know, did, to take care of her and her soon-to-be child. Life is unbearable. And there are you know, family and friends I know in this church who have dealt with tragedy. And I've learned many of those. And I never want to minimize this. You know, the pain is real. And life sometimes is unbearable, isn't it? So what's your unbearable story? What is your unbearable story? I think everyone probably has one or two or whatever. I was looking over the, the, you know, in the news reports this last week and just kind of looking at what's happening in our world. I don't know if you do that or not. Maybe, you, maybe you've chosen to turn off Fox News if that's what you watch or, or you know, the online newspaper or whatever. But I was just kind of looking at a few of the days uh, this week and of course I you know, we have a little bit of investment, and so I was looking at that, and, and it says that, you know, in one day on Monday that the Dow Jones dropped over 200 points, you know, and that was, and then followed up on Tuesday with this news report that, that by CNBC said that the U.S. dollar would, would the, the crash of the U.S. dollar is inevitable, even greater than it was in 2008. Anybody remember 2008 when the crash, the recession began on Friday? They were sharing that uh, the coronavirus is spiking again. You know, it's going up. And so everybody's worried about it. What are they going to do? And then I saw another report that a church up in Oregon, uh, 250 of their members came down with the coronavirus. Yeah. I'm glad you guys are kind of separated in here, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's easy for us to become consumed by the things of the world. And it's even, you know, easy to become consumed by the problems in our own families. And it's easy for us to become disillusioned and even ask the question, as believers in a church, we ask the question, why me? Why me? And it's a reasonable question. And for those of you who may not be you know, God followers here or Christ followers, I can understand how life can be overwhelming. And you can ask the question, why me? Why are bad things happening? But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, and you're wondering why bad things happen to you, let me remind you of this, that the Bible tells us and warns us that bad things are going to happen to good people, that life is going to have its casualties. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, Friends, 
when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in, a very, in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. You know, we oftentimes think when bad things happen, God has left us. And that's a reasonable thought, right? We don't see God in the flesh. We don't see him standing right there with us. And so oftentimes we begin to think, okay, God, why did you leave me? Why did you forsake me? But I want to remind you of this today, that God is both Kairos and Kronos. And I kind of mentioned this in my sermon last week. But, but what I'm talking about is this. God is Kairos, which means that he is outside of time and space. Okay? So, so he is out there. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he is out there. But he is also Kronos. You know what Kronos is? If you wear a watch, and many people don't wear watches today, Kronos, time. You know, God is both outside of time and inside of time. And I want to remind you that today, that God is with us no matter what is going on in life. And that, that we should look at it as a celebration that we get to endure the same kind of pain that Jesus endured. You see, we don't like to think about the pain of Jesus. We don't like to think about the pain that, that, that he hung on a cross, and that he died for the sins of the world. But we should celebrate the fact that, that we are enduring the, things, the same things that, that Christ endured, that pain, that unimaginable pain, and that we should expect to experience unbearable situations. When life isn't easy, and God never promised us that life was going to be easy. I, I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, I don't ever find that anywhere. I don't find that God says, just because you are following me, life is going to be easy. You remember what, the 12, what happened to the 12 disciples? You know what happened to Peter? He got crucified upside down, got his head cut off. Right? God doesn't promise us that life is going to be easy at all, but he does promise us this. He promises us eternal hope. You see, we don't have to worry about the pain in this life when we know we have hope from beyond. And it is through our trials and the trials that we endure that we actually can grow and mature and become a better person on this side of the problem. And so, why is it that you and I, and I include myself in this because I've done this, why do we try to take the path of least resistance? You know, that's what happens to water, right? What Water takes the path of least resistance. And it will go in. And, and if you've ever had a, a flood in your basement or anything, you understand that, that that water that's coming down has found an easy place to get in to your basement. You understand. And, and so we try to take the path of least resistance so we don't have to, to, to worry about life, but that is not how it, God promises us. But I want you to understand this, that we are never alone in our unbearable situation. God will never leave us nor forsake us. And as believers, we can have the full confidence that the Holy Spirit is with us and that God goes with us and takes us and walks along the journey with us as we go through these difficult times in our lives. When we look at the protests that are happening and the riots, God is in the middle of that. And I know it's hard for us to understand that, but he's in the middle of that. God is in the crisis of cancer. You know, we look at people who have cancer. Recently, uh, I just saw that uh, a friend of mine 
um, had a, a motorcycle accident, and now they're finding cancer. I believe they're finding cancer, and he's on dialysis, and his brother died three years ago of cancer. His brother's 48 years old, and now he looks like he's got cancer. But God is there. God is in the crisis of cancer. God is in the crisis of disbelief or unbelief. And how do I know? This is kind of leading us into talking about two different people that I want to look at in the Bible. And, and the Bible is full of unbearable situations and people who've gone through unbearable situations. And, and I want to talk to you about two of them because uh, these two people, um, one's a female, one's a male, both of them deal with entirely different situations in life, but, but they really, they mimic our life. I want to talk about Hagar, the handmaiden. I want to talk about David, King David. So talking about... Um, Hagar. This, her life is a soap opera. And, and I know some of you guys love to watch your soaps, right? Days of Our Lives, General Hospital. Nobody's going to admit to that? No? Nobody wants to admit sin? Okay. All right. I get it. You know, since Dennis has been on furlough, he's been watching a lot, I'm telling you. Yeah, see? Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. We'll pray for you, brother. You know, it's all right. Hagar's life is a soap opera. I mean, absolute soap opera when you look at it. And so let me just kind of give you a little basis of what's happening here. Um, Hagar is the handmaiden or the servant to Sarah. And Sarah was married to, uh, or to Abraham. Now, Sarah was barren. And so Sarah, in that time period, gave to Abraham Hagar to sleep with and have a child. And so Hagar became pregnant. She gave birth to a son named Ishmael. And, and Hagar, over time, um, because of this relationship that they have, and you know if you have an, an intimate relationship, how that can turn. And so over time, Abraham became to where he really liked Hagar and put aside his first wife, Sarah. And so Sarah, of course, became extremely jealous of the situation. God did open her womb. She was allowed to have a child. Isaac, we, you know, that's another story for another day. But after some time, Sarah's, she just raged against Hagar. She was just mad and angry and jealous over the relationship that Abraham had with Hagar. And so um, Sarah demanded, as the first wife, that, that Hagar and Ishmael leave. Well, Abraham agreed. Um, and uh, sent them away. Now, when he sent them away, he didn't send them like it is today when we go outside here, get in your car, you know, drive to your house or, you know, whatever. He sent them out into the desert. And he gave them just a little bit of rations, some water, a little bit of food. And in the story of, of um, Hagar and Ishmael, they got to a point where they didn't have anything left. They drank their, their last bit of water, ate their last bit of food, and they were out in the desert walking going nowhere. They had nowhere to go. Abraham didn't set her up in an apartment someplace. He just kicked her out of the house. And so we find in the story that, that after they ran out of water, Hagar, who, who, whose son Ishmael was probably a young teenager at the time, as you're walking in the heat of the desert, if you've ever been to the desert, you understand the heat. Anybody like the oppressive heat just outside of the humidity? I mean, you know, you get a little bit of that here, but imagine what the desert's like, right? And so Hagar and Ishmael are walking along. She is weak. They have no water. And so Hagar takes the, her son, and she lays him underneath kind of a bush, more like a cactus or something, 
and has this idea that, that maybe some of the dew or the moisture for that would help keep him and sustain him. And it says that she walked away and went over here and sat and began to cry and sob. And, of course, Ishmael began to cry and sob and began to reach out to the Lord. And I like what the scripture says in verse 17 here. It says, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water, and she gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. This story is an interesting story. But you know, God uses suffering for his good purposes. God allows bad situations to happen in life. That, that's just the reality of the thing. But God hears us in our distress. I want you to hear that. God hears you in your distress. He hears me in my distress. And, and God tells us, do not be afraid. As a follower and believer of Jesus, we should not be afraid when we are in a stressful situation, when we are in an unbearable situation. And God speaks. And when God speaks, he speaks to us with an anticipation that we will actually obey. And he tells Hagar, go pick up your son from underneath that bush and carry him. And she goes over and she's obedient and she picks him up. And, and then the Lord says, the Lord opened their eyes to a well of water. You see, it is in those moments when we are struggling, when we're at the end of our rope, when we don't know what to do, when we go to God, God hears our prayer, he hears our request, and he hears our cries, and he comes and he answers, and he gives us the answers that we need or the provisions that we need for life, and he intervenes. So back to my college story. So I was down to my last $5, had to make a decision. Was I going to put gas in my car, go get groceries, and eat? And I, as I told you, I went to prayer. I didn't know what to do. Okay, God, I'm down to my last five bucks. Now, back then, you have to understand, back then, um, there was no cell phones, right? You, you had a phone on the wall. And if somebody called you, you had to go over, you had to get up off your behind and go answer it. And I know some of you like have no idea what we're talking about. <clears throat> well, my parents, when, when we, my brother and I went to college, they sold the house, <laughs> sold the farm, and, and they, they bought a, a, a travel trailer and a truck, and they just took off. And I had no, no chance to even know where they were or find them. Every once in a while, they would call. Well, I didn't have a phone either. I had to use the phone in the bottom of the parsonage. And so as I was crying out to God and as I was praying, uh, and, and I just, I was like, okay, God, I don't have any money. I have no way to get any money. I don't have a credit card. I don't have a debit card because I don't have an account to get any money out anyway. Um, what am I going to do? And, and some of you might think, well, this is just, this is just how parents are. But can I tell you on a Father's Day, dads know when their kids are in distress like moms know when their kids are in distress. And I hadn't talked to my parents in almost 30 days. Sometimes people think that's a joy, right? I'm talking to your parents. 
But I, I was at a point where I was just struggling, and, and the phone rang, and I didn't answer the phone in the parsonage, um, and the phone rang, and, it was, and so he called back to the phone upstairs and to, to the pastor uh, and to the wife, and, and, and she came down, she said, your dad's on the phone, and he really needs to talk to you. Well, of course, I freak out, and I think that something happened to my dad or something or my mom. And I go answer the phone, and my dad said, um, how are you doing? Well, you know that question, right? How are you doing? You know how you answer that? I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't need anything. My dad goes, no, I, I, you need something. And, I, and I, you know, in those moments, you have to humble yourself. You ever been there? You have to humble yourself a little bit. And, my, and I said to my dad, I said, well, be be honest with you, I said, I'm down to my last five bucks. I have no gas in my car and very little food in my refrigerator, and I don't have any money. And that was a really humble place to be. And my dad said, I felt like that, that I knew that you were in distress. And so, I, I, you know, so they found a phone on the side of the road someplace and called. Now, I know you think, well, that's just a dad thing. But I believe it's a God thing. And my dad said, you know what? I'm going to send you some money. Now, we didn't have Venmo back then or Zelle, or whatever fast money you give me. We can send money. By the way, if you want to send me money, you can. On Venmo, I've got a Venmo account. <laughs> My brother, the other day, uh, he, he put on his Facebook thing, like Venmo at whatever, so I sent him five bucks. Sorry, honey, I sent him five bucks. I didn't tell you. Well, he said, if you, you know, can Venmo him five bucks, and send him money, so I did. So anyway, um, just as a joke. But anyway, I... Um, so my dad said, I'll send you a check. And so you, know, you imagine those three days between the time I got five bucks. And so I went and put gas in my car so I can get to class, ate the little bit of food I had in my refrigerator, and went to class and did everything. And I got that check. And I was like, oh, I got a check. You know, it was for $65. Now, $65 doesn't go a whole lot, you know, far that day, you know, today. But 65 back then was pretty good. Gas is like a dollar. Well, dollar five or six or ten or something, I don't know. And so I filled up my gas tank in my little Ford Escort and went over and got some food. And, and it was amazing from that point on, God continued to just bless and that money. I, I just, I don't know what it was. I don't even know if my dad sent me money. But God, you know, through that prayer and through that, that feeling of despondency, God provided that. And I was so grateful for that money. I never forgot that story because God is that kind of God, Right? Well, let me go back to the story here of Hagar and Sarah. You know, Sarah, Sarah intended evil for Hagar. Sarah did not want Hagar in the house. She didn't want that child in the house of Ishmael, did not want him in the house and sent him out. But can I tell you this? When other people plan evil or the devil plans evil, God uses it for his good purpose. And through this whole process, of them going out and, and getting down to their last water and everything, the, the angel of the Lord shows up and she tells Hagar that her son will be a blessed nation. That to me is pretty awesome. Let me tell you about another, another story in the Bible. King David. Now, we all know King David. Uh, king David is this mighty king. Uh, as a child, he killed a giant, Goliath, right? And so, you know, he had a great story. But one of the things with, with David was that David, because of his position as king, was pursued after by many people. They wanted to kill him and take over um, his kingdom. And so in Psalm 17, we have David coming to God. 
right off the bat. In Psalm 17, he comes to God and he begins to pray. But I'm not going to start at the first verse. I'm going to start at verse 10. And it says this in Psalm 17, verse 10. They close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance. They have tracked me down and now surround me. With, with eyes alert, they throw me to the ground. They are like a lion hungry for prey, like a great lion crouching in cover. We'll get back to the first part of that passage, but I want you to hear this. There are people out there who intend evil instead of good. There are people out there who, who would rather, you know, live to themselves and do their own thing and, and have really calloused hearts and insensitive people, unsympathetic people, emotionally hardened people. And, and, and there are people like that out there, and you know who I'm talking about. You may have some of them in your own family. You may have coworkers like that. There are people who just seem to, they're only going for themselves. And David is calling it out, and he's saying, these people, they are oppressors. They, they have come against me. God, I need your help. And so as they try to pursue him, David goes to the Lord in prayer. And beginning in verse 1 now, he says, Hear me, Lord. My plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Can I tell you this? It's okay to cry out to God in crisis. It's absolutely okay to do it. And it's okay to ask God to protect you. It is okay to do that, or, or even someone that you love. But we have to acknowledge that God's power is mightier than everyone else's, and that we need to allow him to lead us into protection. We, we need to allow him to do that. We need to come under the umbrella. I, I think some people didn't show up today because last week I, I opened this umbrella. But I'm going to open it again this umbrella. We need to come under the umbrella of God's protection and his provision. We, we need to be people who say, okay, God, I cannot deal with this unbearable situation. And when life is unbearable, we need to go to God and we need to come under his protection. And in Psalm 17, 6, it says, I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. See, David is being attacked unjustly. He, his, the drama of his life is they were coming against him. They wanted his kingdom. They wanted what he had. And so God did what he remind, or David did, what, what we need to be reminded of, that we need to, to go under the umbrella of God. We need to go to the safety of God. We need to go under his umbrella. And in Psalm 91, and I love this psalm, the first time I ever really read this psalm, it, the Lord just touched me and said, this is what we need to do. It says, when, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. God's protection doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. Okay? Just because we're under a shelter doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. But it is when we are in this unbearable situation that we can come under the umbrella of God and we can find rest, we can find peace, and we can find the hope that, we're, that we so desperately need. So in both of these people, Hagar and David, they did what we need to do. We need to be people of prayer. I read this to you already, but... I'm going to read it again. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. 
when we have no place to turn, when we have attempted to, to do everything that we can do on our own power or our own strength and we realize it leads us nowhere, then remember, we need to be drawn to God. We need to come under the umbrella of God. We need to be people of prayer and, that, and, and, and we need to come under his authority and listen to him. When we pray, prayer doesn't change God, but authentic prayer allows God to speak into our situation and our desperate situation and gives us the right perspective and the answers that we need in the toughest moments. And so prayer is like coming under the umbrella of God. In the shadow of his care, in the place that he restores our souls, the place that he gives us rest in the unbearable situations. So what are your unbearable situations that you're facing today? Hagar prayed, and God heard her cry for help. David prayed, and God heard his cry for help. And so, do you need a new perspective on your bad situation? What's going on in your life? I invite you to pray. Kilhill Gibran said this. He said, prayer is the song of the heart. It reaches the ear of God, even if it is mingled with the cry and tumult of a thousand men. See, God can hear your prayer, and he can dissect what's going on, and he invites you to do that. So I'm presuming today that there's issues, and I know there are, in our church. So I offer you this. We have a prayer station over here. If you want to pray, we're going to have some music that's going to be playing. And over here in this, where the table is with this cloth, if you want to write out your prayer and you want to post it on the cross and, and just pray over it and give it to the Lord, I invite you to do that. I put one on there for my brother and my sister-in-law. We have an altar here. If you'd like to just come and pray and just spend time with God alone and just do that, that's fine. If over here in, in Pastor Jody is going to anoint you. If you would like to be anointed for whatever's going on in your life, just come and stand before her. She will just place some oil on your forehead and just quickly pray for you, and then you can go back to your seat or pray. But I want to invite you in these moments to do that. Let me just lead us in prayer as we begin to pray, but you're welcome to come if you'd like to any one of these stations today. Father, in these moments, we just pray your Holy Spirit would give us guidance and direction, and may we have a trust in you in these moments that you give us protection. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.